and it shows how great God's goodness is. And, and right there, even without even starting in our scripture today, I think there's an application right here that you need to hear. You need to hear it. You need to hear it. And that message is, at your worst, God gave his best for you. And please, don't ever let anyone in the church try to get you into some kind of performance trap so that you can try to convince everybody that you're better than you are. The Christian walk is a humble walk, recognizing how great your darkness is, but how wonderful his light is. So that if anybody sees anything good in you, I wanted to say in me, but uh, you know, right there had to be the preacher, in you, <laughs> that you know that all you can say is, hey, give the glory to him. Look at the scripture. This is uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 20, about halfway through the verse. It's up there on the PowerPoint. I would like you to read this with me. This is from the New King James. Would you read this with me? Where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Never forget that, okay? Now listen to it from, uh, this is J.B. Phillips. Listen to how J.B. Phillips wrote this. Yet though sin is shown to be wide and deep, thank God his grace is wider and and deeper still. Amen? Amen? Yes, absolutely. Now, a couple of things here. It's important that we understand that when Jesus Christ was crucified, he wasn't crucified by the will of men. Okay, in fact, many scriptures, I brought Acts 2.23 to show you here, says this, it was by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. Okay, so this is all part of God's plan to demonstrate his love for you. Also, another very important thing from last week is we need to understand that Jesus going to the cross, this is about capital punishment. Jesus did not face capital punishment, death, as a penalty for some crime because of some bad thing that he did. Jesus Christ went to the cross for who he was. And this is the great dividing point because Jesus Christ came, claimed to be God in the flesh. And that's what angered the religious people. Okay, They were holding on to their religion so tightly that they could not see the truth. And God help us to get free of all the religious baggage that we've been brought up with so that we can see clearly what it is that God is doing, what he has said already, and what he's about. Amen? Yeah, yeah, excellent. So this brings us to verse 1, chapter 23. Are you prepared to hear from the Lord today? Mike Descoli needs to disappear God needs to appear. Someone told me today, a guest today said they came because they heard Jesus shows up here. Well, if that's all that happens here, then that's enough, okay? My hope is you won't see Mike Descoli, but you'll see him, okay? So are you ready? Let's uh, prepare our hearts. What are you carrying today? Man, I loved Alan's leading us through that, that opportunity of, uh, of, you know, maybe you're not there. Maybe you can't smile with these songs today. Um, what do you need to give the Lord right now? What would, I mean, God cares more than you do. He says, cast your cares on him for he cares for you. Give those things to him. It might be something in your life. 
It might be something in your world. It might be somebody you love, you care about. Cast your cares on him, um, for he cares for you. Do that right now. Think about Rhodes in the hospital right now, Lord. Love him. Bless him. I think about um, I think about our friend Don, who is concerned about his heart this week. Lord, we pray for a miracle of healing. Bless Pam and give her peace. Think about circumstances in our world that we need wisdom, Lord. Help us to walk in your assurance. Now do you desire that he speak into your life? Just ask him, Lord, speak to me. I'm listening. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1. Then the whole assembly rose and led Jesus to Pilate. They began to accuse him, saying, we have found this man subverting, and a better word might be corrupting, and then the NIV puts the word our there. I don't think that's in the original language. It should be the word the, because these people certainly wouldn't have claimed Rome as their own government here. So he's corrupting the government, the nation, and then, then they accuse him in two ways. They say, first, he opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Christ, but the emphasis needs to be on those last two words, a king, Christ a king, because of who they're talking to right here. Pontius Pilate uh, will serve as govern, governor of this area, the southern area of Israel, Judea, for a period of t- 10 years from 26 AD to 36 AD until he's removed by the Roman government and then he'll never be heard from again. He was hated by the Jews. He never understood the Jews. He added fuel to his own fire by a couple of foolish actions, a couple, several of those. Let me just give you two of them. One would be, uh, well, both involved his, his actions toward their place of worship, the temple. And the first was he took funds that had been given to the temple and used them to build an aqueduct system in Jerusalem. So they didn't like that, you know, using church money to do civil work and then the second thing was he he was putting these banners of caesar on the temple grounds and caesar caesar was considered to be a deity so you know he's not very smart in his actions toward toward the jews frankly he was placed there by rome to offer a degree of diplomacy between the roman government and the jewish people well he's not doing a very good job and the duplicity that we'll see, his wavering in how he handles Christ is rooted right here in his need to try to keep everybody happy. This is a political guy that we're talking about here, okay? He's a, a true hardline uh, politician. That's, that's what this guy is. Now, Jesus, as you remember, if you've been through the study, he's been taken into captivity by the Sanhedrin, the 70-member uh, civil court uh, kind of a, uh, you know, a, a large grand jury sort of thing. He's been taken into custody by them. He's been beaten. He's been interrogated. He's made claims to be Christ, claims to be God in the flesh, the Messiah, the long-expected one. And their accusations against them, against him have to do with their faith, largely. 
that he's blasphemed the God that they serve. Now they know that that's not going to hold water with Pontius Pilate because if they come in there and they say he's blasphemed our God, he's going to say, well, take your religious superstition somewhere else. Don't waste my time and do not waste the time of this court. Okay, that's not what we're about here. So what they have to do is they have to spin the story in such a way that Pontius Pilate will listen to uh, what, what, their, what charges they want to bring against him. Not the charge, but in a sense to where they can punish him for what they're holding against them. And so they say he's undermined Caesar by declaring himself to be a king, right? We only have one king, that's King Caesar, so now they're just playing the silly game, and he's undermining the Roman government by telling people they shouldn't pay taxes. Now, we know that both of those aren't true, right? I mean, because, you know, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. He respected Caesar's office. We're taught in Scripture to respect that office. When, when asked by the same group of people if they should pay taxes to Caesar... What does he do? He asks for a, a Roman coin. He asks the question, whose inscription is on this coin? And when they say Caesar's, his, his comment back to them is then give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. These guys are playing on this because they absolutely want Jesus dead. All right? So we go on, verse 3. So Pilate asked Jesus, written in a sarcastic tone, are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is. As you say, the, the better translation in today's language would be whatever you say. If you go over to the Gospel of John, you'll read there Jesus asking him, was this revealed to you by men or was this revealed to you by God? Okay, so Jesus is standing right here on solid ground. I am the king of the Jews. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. He'll say that four times before we're done today. But they insisted, he stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. Now, Galilee is known as the epicenter of rebellion against Rome. So what they're trying to do is tie Jesus to Galilee. And they're saying to Pontius Pilate, if you want the same trouble they have in Galilee right here in Jerusalem, then just don't deal with this guy and you'll get it. That's what's going on here. But Pilate Right there, he probably breathed a sigh of relief. He thought he'd found his out, doesn't want to deal with this. So going on, verse 6, on hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. Probably for Passover, a lot of dignitaries in town for these big events. But frankly, Pilate doesn't care about jurisdictions. If you'll go back to our study to Luke chapter 13, you'll find there that he had two Galileans killed himself without consulting in Herod. But Herod's in town. He doesn't want to deal with this matter of Jesus, how convenient it is. Let's just send him over there. So now Herod, look at his response. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time, he had been wanting to see him. Now, how long had he been wanting to see Jesus? We know Herod killed John the Baptist. After John the Baptist was killed, Jesus began to increase, and people started saying things like, he's John the Baptist come back from the dead. And Herod's kind of blown away. He's like, wait a minute. I myself killed John the Baptist, so who is this guy? And so he wanted to see him from what he had heard, about him. He hoped to see him perform some miracle. I would 
underline those words, he hoped to see Jesus perform some miracle. That's Pilate's reason for wanting to see Jesus the Christ right there. So he plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him, dressed him in an elegant robe. What color was that robe? Purple. Yeah, we know that from the other Gospels, the color of royalty, but they're mocking him. Dressed him in an elegant robe, sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. Now, there are many Herods, and this particular guy is Herod Antipas. He is the youngest son of Herod the Great. You should remember Herod the Great from the Christmas story because it, it was the Magi, the three wise men, who showed up at Herod the Great's palace and, and talked about the, the king of the Jews. And, and Herod the Great wanted to know where he was, so he told the wise men to report back to him after he found them because his intention was to kill him. He didn't want, you know, that Herod the Great was not so great. In fact, he just tagged that title onto his name because it helped him overcome his short man syndrome. He wasn't that great. He wanted this other king dead, and you better believe it. Well, now his son is getting involved with his matters, uh, Antipas, and I had you underline his purpose for wanting to see the king of the Jews. It was because he hoped to see some miracle. Now, I've given this a name this morning because I suppose you could call this the entertainment gospel. And what we see here in Antipas is a picture of someone who confuses the transformational power of the good news of Jesus Christ with their need to be entertained. All right? I don't care what power he has. I don't care who people claim he is. I just want to see him do something. That's what this is all about. And it forces an application here that we consider in ourselves. Do we ourselves really want the power of God in our lives or are we just looking to have our fancies fixed? Very important stuff. Are you looking for some kind of surprise? We shouldn't be surprised when people show up to our churches for no other reason other than this need to be entertained. But we don't fault them. We're glad people come regardless, but our prayer is, God, show yourself to them. Because we ourselves didn't realize our need, but somehow by his awesome kindness, he's made that truth come alive in our spirits. And that's where we stand. Now notice Herod's asking all sorts of questions and Jesus isn't answering him. But he just was answering all of Pontius Pilate's questions. What's the difference? It seems that Jesus knew Pontius Pilate was listening. But he knew that Antipas had John the Baptist, and he killed John the Baptist. So if he wouldn't listen to the message of a prophet, then there's no way he's going to listen to Jesus' message. So these guys mock him. They dress him in purple. They send him back to, hear it, to Pilate. And now Pilate's got an additional problem. And that problem is, uh, we find the other Gospels again, that while Jesus was in the care of Antipas, and his wife, Pilate's wife is sleeping. She has this dream that kind of shocks her. And the dream somehow reveals to her that this guy, Jesus, who her husband is responsible for, is innocent. In fact, 
I shouldn't just say shocks, it greatly troubles her in spirit. And she tells her husband, this dream is greatly troubling me. And you should not have anything to do with this man. So now he's faced with, with this. Verse 18. Oh, no, where am I? I'm sorry. Verse 13. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people and said to them, You brought man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. There's the second time. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. There's the third time. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. And again, the NIV does us a disservice by taking out verse 17, which says, For of necessity it was a custom that he would release unto them one prisoner at the feast. So somebody's going to get released. Will it be the innocent Jesus the Christ who is only claiming to be who he is, or will it be a known criminal? Verse 18, with one voice they cried out, away with this man, release Barabbas to us. And here are Barabbas's known crimes. Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. So here we have Barabbas, a known criminal, who will be set free while Jesus the innocent will face the death penalty on his behalf. Jesus dying in his place. And my friends, this right here is a picture of the good news of Jesus Christ. And this is what we're all about. So I've given this a name, and I've called this picture right here the free gift gospel. Because all of us are in Barabbas' position. We have all been found guilty of sin. The Bible says it. Okay, you can try to justify yourself before God or you can hear what he's trying to say. And the consequence of that sin, we all deserve the penalty and that penalty is death. But Jesus, the innocent, died in our place. Did you hear that? Jesus, the innocent, died in your place. Hear it. In fact, Barabbas's name itself is very, very fascinating to me. You know, we're going to see in a moment Simon the Serene because we, he know, we know where he's from. You know, uh, we know of, of uh, Simon, son of, of Jonah, who is Simon Peter, typically given a name after an ancestor or a place that they're from, but not Barabbas. But his name means his father's son. Bar? Son, Abba, Daddy. And he sends a message to anyone who listened. Jesus died in your place so that you could become your father's child. And father with a capital F. Your daddy's child. That's what Barabbas is telling us. The free gift gospel. Brought a couple of scriptures to support this. Would you please read with me John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13? Let's read them together. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Here's a second one. Just listen to this one. This one's 
written to you specifically in God's love letter. You did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Baraba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. But Barabbas, did he ever realize what Jesus did for him? Or was he one of those criminals who was there knowing he was guilty, but the whole time saying, I'm innocent, I was set up? Or did he come to a place where he was able to say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you did in my place. And before you're too hard on Barabbas, what about you? Have you acknowledged what Jesus has done for you? Or are you still trying to defend yourself and say, if God doesn't accept me, then I don't want him anyway. Okay, let me just leave it right there. Verse 20. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again, but they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. For the third time he spoke to them, why, what crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Okay, so there we see fourth time. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified and their shouts prevailed. And then we have these tragic words. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. Pontius Pilate. How sad it is when leaders choose to appease the people rather than doing what they know is right down deep in their hearts. How hard it is. If you look at this same account in John chapter 19, you'll find there that the crowd is saying to them, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar's. And by them saying this, they're saying, we're going to let it get back to Caesar, that this man is declaring himself a king. This, as uh, declaring himself to, to be a king, he's undermining the king. He's undermining Caesar. We will let him know all about this. So history tells us Pilate's already in trouble. There's been uprising in his territory. Roman government is looking at him. They're analyzing him, his, his leadership ship, uh, skills. Here's all these people in Jerusalem now for the Passover uh, celebrations. There's dignitaries from Rome. The last thing he needs is some sort of riot for not following the will of the people. And so under all that pressure, after saying four times this man is innocent, instead he gives in to their demands. That's what we have right here facing Jesus. And the death penalty. So I suppose what we could do is call this, give it a name too. This could be called the sidestepped gospel. Because here we have Pontius Pilate, who's been an eyewitness of Jesus Christ. He's heard Jesus speak. Uh, He's heard everything Jesus has to say. He's witnessed him himself, his wife. Uh, God have mercy on the man who doesn't listen to his wife. He doesn't listen to his wife. We know he's in big trouble. And there's wives hitting their husbands on the shoulder. Doggone it. I need to watch what I say. But when it comes down to him having to put his career on the line, his political influence, the power that he's enjoying, when it comes down to that, when it comes down to him putting his future on the line, he is not going to stand with 
Jesus Christ. And it's important for us to realize that there are those who come to our churches who have all the right things to say, and they've seen it all, and they've, they've heard it all. But if, if it comes to a place that their faith in Jesus is going to cost them anything, then suddenly we see them wavering from the faith. And did you hear what I said? Did you hear me say those forbidden words? When it comes to their faith costing them anything, please hear me. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a free gift to anyone who will receive it. The cost may come in standing for Jesus, not because God's going to impose a penalty or a price on you, but because there's a spirit of Antichrist in the world that hates Jesus and is opposed to anyone who chooses to follow him. And therefore, there's a price to be paid if you're going to stand for Jesus in this world. And my prayer for you in this body is the same prayer I pray for myself, that because of God's goodness and the power of God that is at work in our lives, in my life, and in your life, that if there ever comes a time where you are in this position, where the question is asked, will you stand or will you back away from Jesus, that by His capacities, you'll find yourself being amazed that you're standing there with Him. And and it's so important because we live in this day when, uh, you know, people want to say, God is whoever you want God to be. This is where we live today. Whatever works for you, that's just fine. And you'll never get in trouble, most likely, for praying before a meal. You'll never get in trouble for, for reading your Bible. You'll never get in trouble for going to church. But when you choose to stand on Jesus Christ and the claims that we've been making here as we've looked at the Gospel of Luke... Right there you have found the stumbling block. Right there you have found the dividing line. And people will begin to separate from you for no other reason other than Jesus who you claim. And it's happening in our country today more than ever before. Verse 25. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection. It's fascinating that they repeat the crimes. Luke wants us to know this man is guilty. So they release the man who's been in prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. Now as they led Jesus away, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon the Cyrenian, who was coming from the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. Now get a picture of this procession. There's people in town for, for the Passover. The, Jerusalem's busy. There's Roman soldiers everywhere, posted guard. We, we don't understand this, but you don't have to go very far to see this type of stuff. I mean, my first experience was in Brazil, and while they didn't have swords and they had a crazy array of guns, there are soldiers on about every street and places with, you know, they're standing there making a statement, okay? And, and some of them have guns, some of them don't, okay? Because of the uh, economy there in Brazil, or at least when I was there. But a typical procession would have consisted specifically of five soldiers. One soldier in the front, two soldiers just behind, then the prisoner, and then two more soldiers. The soldier out in front was given a sign. And uh, 
this sign was, was held there for the people to see, and on the sign was the crime that this person was being sentenced for. So in Jesus' case, the sign would have simply said, the king of the Jews. And, and that was there for everybody to see, so that everyone in their curiosity, this would be me, you know, why is this guy being punished? And I'd want to run and make sure I got positioned properly so I could read that sign, and I'd see the sign, the king of the Jews. These types of pro, pro, uh, processions usually would take the longest route through town. They would consist of lots of noise, and the reason for the noise was to make sure they drew a crowd. And so the crowd would come, they want to see what's going on, and when they come, they'd see these soldiers. They, they'd see the man with the sign. They could look at it and see what he'd done. They'd see the, the prisoner dragging this cross, and it might have been the, the cross member of the cross. They would see all this stuff, and the reason that the Roman government wanted noise and they wanted to attract a crowd and they wanted them to see that sign is because they wanted to send a message to everybody under their rule that this is what happens to anyone who opposes Rome. The king. This is what they wanted them to see. Jesus, at this point, he's been severely beaten. He's unable to carry his own cross the whole distance. Now, a Roman soldier had the right to take out his sword, and if you were nearby and he needed to solicit your help, he would just take his sword and he'd touch you on the shoulder, and if he touched you on the shoulder, it didn't matter what you were doing, you had to stop and do whatever that soldier asked you to do. If you were carrying... Uh, groceries home from market and a soldier were to touch you on the shoulder with his sword that meant you had to drop whatever you had and if he wanted you to carry his bags home you carried his bags home that was the way Roman authority worked so now in this picture we enter Simon of Serene this guy had traveled 900 miles to come to the Passover it was the dream of a lifetime. I mean, if you lived within 15 miles of Jerusalem and you were a Jewish man, you were required to come to the Passover feast. But if you lived further than that, it was only your dream. In fact, even today, there are Jews who will say the statement that they said back then, today here, tomorrow, Jerusalem. It's a longing to go home and to be a part of this. So here's Simon. He's traveled. He's excited to be here. It's cost him dearly to be here. And then this parade catches his attention. And so he comes to see what's going on. And in the midst of this, he's touched by the sword of the soldier. And he can't say no. He can't say I'm busy. He can't say, hey, my wife needs me right now. He has to drop whatever he's doing. And in this case, they're saying, you have to carry this cross. Now, if you go over to the Gospel of, of Mark, you'll find there that this man, Simon, is the father of two well-known believers, Rufus and Alexandria. And the reason that Mark references them and includes them, or the very fact that he references them there, tells us that these are well-known people among the early church. They knew who these guys were. Are. And for this reason, it's a very interesting uh, uh, prospect for us to consider the fact that on this experience of Simon the Serene meeting Jesus in these difficult situations, taking his cross and carrying his cross for him, that the word of God came into Simon's life and he became a believer right here on the spot. In fact, later Paul writes in Rome, Greet Rufus, 
one of Simon's sons, and he says, chosen in the Lord and his mother who has been a mother to me too. Could it be that this Rufus is the son of Simon who carried the cross of Jesus Christ? And for this reason, I've given this section the title, The Transformational Gospel, because here we have a picture of a person who encountered Jesus in a very real way and left Jesus never to be the same again. How about you? Have you experienced Jesus in a transformational way? We don't come together like this because it's a form or a duty or a heritage or a tradition. We come together like this, many of us here today, because God has revealed himself to us in such a way that we know we can never be the same again. I'd like you to read with me Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Let's read this together. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And then listen to one more scripture, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Fascinating, the word metamorpho is used there, from which we get metamorphosis, the transformation of a caterpillar to a butterfly, a tadpole to a frog. This is about the transforming power of God. So did you notice today the four types of gospels and responses to them? Some just see it as entertaining. They come to church looking for something to make them feel good. That's Herod. Others sidestep it. If it's going to cost them anything, that's Pontius Pilate. Well, on the other hand, there are those who will see it as the reality of a free gift from God, Barabbas, his father's son, and therefore experience it in a transformational way. That's Simon, the Cyrene. That, my friends, is the word of God. Has he said anything to you today? Do you hear him speaking to you and drawing you? It's going to get real quiet in here for a few moments because I want to leave you between you and God. I'm not here to sell you anything or manipulate you. You just let God speak into your life. What does he want you to know? And what would you do in response?